Tuesday, June 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Matt Koppenheffer. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hello. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, we've got a bunch going on today. We've got, uh, we're going to talk about the music industry. We're going to talk about the software industry and the online gaming industry. Uh, let's start with music. Pandora. Shares of Pandora down more than 12% this week. And that's because um, of what is um, quickly becoming the worst-kept secret in the business world, uh, which is that Apple is gearing up to launch a music streaming service. The Wall Street Journal reported they have a, Apple has a deal with Warner Music Group now. Uh, I suppose this is the nightmare scenario, isn't it, Jason, where uh, someone comes to you and says, I have very bad news, Apple, with its unbelievably deep pockets, has decided to enter our competitive space. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's basically what they have to be thinking is because this is, from what we can at least glean from the reviews or the releases, is that this is going to be a free streaming service that is ad-based, ad-supported, which is essentially exactly what Pandora is. And the whole notion I, there, of iRadio. Right. And I mean, you, you can pay for a, a membership to Pandora to, to sort of bypass the advertisements and stuff like that. But, you know, for someone like me, I mean, I, I, I tend to kind of have my own musical taste, but my kids like some of those channels on Pandora. So we've got the, the Disney channel set and we plug it in there, but it's free. We don't have to worry about it. I mean, there is a little bit of a switching cost there if someone's got their preferences and tastes set into Pandora or Spotify or whatever. And I think we talked about that a little bit before with Google's uh, new service coming out. But I, I, I think this is really – this is a – number one, it's a great move, I think, by Apple to really go beyond just being a device maker, right? Because that's what they are for, for, for better or for worse. I mean, they obviously have the software to back those devices up. But they need to figure out a way to really monetize beyond just the devices – and uh, and this is certainly going to be one way to, to potentially do it. It was just a few years ago, Matt, that Apple, whether they meant to or not, threw Pandora a lifeline with the iPhone because Pandora's executives will be the first to tell you, hey, when we were able to launch the Pandora app, that doubled our customer base. So I guess Apple giveth and, and now... Any minute now, Apple is going to be taking away. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they helped them prove out the model. They gave them a little bit of extra time to show Apple how, uh, how good that business could be. And, and now Apple is going to, uh, to crush them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I think you got to – this is a great reminder here that when we talk about first mover advantage, uh, it's often illusory. Uh, I, I mean – when we think about when I think about the businesses where first mover advantage, uh, they had it and they held on to it and they kept going. Uh, we were talking about uh, Amazon uh, was able to hang on to that. Netflix is is probably a good example, but there are so many companies. I mean, Google not a first mover. Apple never a first mover. I mean, yeah. there, there are example after example of these uh, companies that are leading. Uh, that th- that weren't the first mover in their industry, and this is another great example of Apple is about to be a uh, a late comer and and probably take the uh, take the market i wouldn 't bet against Apple, but at the same time i i, I don 't want to automatically just cede the ground to them because uh, I think when you look at Pandora and for that matter sirius x m um, in the case of Pandora, people talk about one of the things they love about it is musical discovery and just, oh, I'm, I'm exposed to new musical artists, et cetera, that sort of thing. And with SiriusXM, the options, I mean, whatever your tastes are, whether it's talk radio or, uh, or music, whatever it is, there is something for you there. So, um, uh, it's not automatically 
going to be there for the taking for Apple, but at the same time, I don't know. It just it just it just seems like for all the industries that we talk about, well, Apple could go into social media, but they never have. You know, they they've sat on the sidelines for a lot, but for a while now, music increasingly seems like one that they are very interested in going after. Well, I mean, you, music is is just huge. I mean, it's 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 universal. I mean, everybody enjoys music in some capacity, but but you have this whole world of different you know music out there, musical tastes out there, and so I mean, that's one thing that like a Pandora. Uh, or even a Spotify, they've been able to really tap into is that musical discovery, like you mentioned. I mean, I think you maybe have someone like me who's who's kind of been in my box for a long time as far as what I like to listen to in regard to music. But hey, I'm a guy that just knows what he likes, and I don't really want to mess with it. A you whole love lot. you love polkas, and you're not going to apologize <laughs> for that. Dun, dun, but um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's Sirius XM. I think is is probably a little bit safer here in in that they provide. A different product. I mean, I think it's certainly there, there are more uh, selections out there, but just between like the, the talk shows, the news shows, the PGA tour.com, whatever, all that stuff that Sirius provides that really you're not going to find on something like a Pandora or a Spotify or an Apple streaming service. And, and I do think that there is a loyalty built in with folks once they get into that Sirius XM model. They really do like it. I mean, I've seen my parents, for example, they have it in their cars. Yeah. Really love it, and I think it's just something that a lot of people incorporate into their day. But, but a great point there, I think Matt makes about this this first mover advantage. And, and Mac was was mentioning this before taping the 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 Bezos interview from years ago, where he he was saying he didn't want to be a pioneer because the pioneers are the ones that end up with arrows in their back. I mean, when you're on the king, of the, when you're the king of the hill, someone's gunning for you, right? And I mean, Apple's just been a a real. They've done a great job of just watching things play out and then making it better. Later this month, Apple is having their developer conference. Uh, is there anything in particular you're expecting or looking for out of that? I mean, in the wake of this news, there are some people saying, "Hey, I'm," you know, they're going to be looking for announcements of more deals with Universal, with Sony Music Entertainment, that sort of thing. Uh, but other people are just sort of looking to the tried and true Apple products. I don't know if you guys just if you have anything, or 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 maybe you weren't even aware that the developer conference mm-hmm. is going on I'm later still, this month. Still waiting for the ring. Still waiting for the ring, Chris. <laughs> I, I would say that there's this secret iRadio thing that may be coming out that yeah. some people have talked about. Again, <laughs> worst kept secret in the business world. Uh, exact Target is the name of a business market software maker. Uh, and before this morning, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of Exact Target. And shares are up more than 50% this morning on the news that Salesforce.com is buying Exact Target for the cool sum of $2.5 billion. Uh, Matt, what do you think of this deal? It seems like... Uh, seems like Salesforce, which is obviously much smaller than Oracle and SAP, is, uh, uh, well, is being no less aggressive in going after them. I, I would I would say that this this area isn't my primary area of expertise, but from from what I can see of this deal, the, the fit between the two companies makes a lot of sense, and I I think this will expand Salesforce in a way that um, that'll give it access to to new informations and, and, and new ways of uh, of aiding its customers. But one of the things that that I thought was particularly interesting about the deal is the fact that Salesforce is using cash to make this acquisition. Uh, it's a it's a big acquisition. Uh, the market in general is not at a cheap level these days. Right. Uh, Salesforce in particular has always been a fairly richly valued company. Uh, I assumed when I saw this deal uh, come out that Salesforce was going to be using shares to make the deal, which when shares are at a premium price, it often makes sense or, or usually makes sense from a shareholder's perspective right. to do that. And so I was, I was kind of surprised to see the company using cash to make the deal. 
uh, and shares of Salesforce only down, you know, three or four percent last time I checked before coming in the studio. Uh, I know less about this space than Matt does, but Jason, just looking at the reaction of the stock, it would seem like um, if people aren't wildly encouraged, as we've seen earlier this year, there were some acquisition deals where both stocks were up, which is which is always a great sign for the acquirer. In this case, it seems like, well, you know, maybe the drop in Salesforce is a reflection of the price tag. But it doesn't seem like people are hating on this deal. No, I don't think so. And I think that it's pro- what it's going to do is it's going to certainly add to Salesforce, uh, Salesforce's uh, already formidable scale. I mean, that's that's really where this all this all boils down to e-commerce. Uh, not only building those relationships uh, between consumers and and the sellers, uh, but but learning from those uh, purchases and, and understanding more what these purchases are looking for, seeing around the next corner, and being able to cater and market to to their uh, to their consumers. And so that's what this deal does. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it looks like it's priced at about eight times sales, which isn't absurd for something like a tech company. It's not cheap by any means. I agree with Matt completely. It seems like they could have really taken advantage of using shares as currency here with with them uh, so richly priced. But you know, overall, I mean, it's it's something that that makes perfect sense. It's Salesforce is already a big player in, in the game, and this customer relationship management, the CRM, is just going to continue to grow in relevance as e-commerce just continues to grow uh, over time. It's it's still such a small part of overall. Uh, retail, and we know that is just changing every day. Why do you think Oracle didn't go after them? They're a much bigger company. They could have, uh, if if they wanted to. I and and I say that only because Larry Ellison is just one of those tech CEOs who just always stands out in my mind. And you know what? Maybe he's he's still busy, just focused on the America's Cup uh, race, and <laughs> and and he's looking to get his crew in shape. But this seems like if if this m- made sense for Salesforce.com then Oracle could have done the same deal. Or is this a situation where Salesforce made this because they had to, because they are so much smaller than an Oracle or an SAP? Well, I, you know, I, I think just generally speaking, after sort of a, a, a drought uh, to some extent of M&A activity, I think we're going to start to see uh, deals fire up a little bit more. Um, what we've seen mostly is, is a lot of companies cutting cutting back expenses. And so now I think in terms of why deals are going to start happening is that everybody's going to start to think about growth again. And uh, and the quickest way to do that is to make a purchase. So I, I don't know. I, I think that probably motivated this to some extent is that people are thinking, companies are starting to think about growth again. And you can make a, make a big splash there by uh, by, by buying a $2.5 billion company. <laughs> uh, late on Monday, Zynga announced it is cutting 18% of its staff. Uh, and when that news broke, shares of Zynga fell 12% in the final hour of trading on Monday. And Mark Pincus, uh, the founder and CEO, said uh, uh, this, is a necess- this is necessary to move forward. Uh, it's obviously unfortunate these people are losing their jobs, but uh, when you look at the business, when you look at what Zynga stock has done over the last couple of years, um, this probably isn't a surprise. Is Got it? a great it's new idea for a game, Chris. It's called Ouchville. <laughs> <laughs> this hurts. <laughs> this is bad. I mean, you know, this is, I think, uh, we were talking a little bit before the show here about, you know, back in the dot-com bust were there lessons learned? Um, I think there were some signs maybe here over the past couple of years that maybe some people learned their lessons better than others. Yeah. Uh, but I think this really goes to show that 
any company, and, and Zynga is no exception, when they go to IPO, they're going to do everything they can to really make it look like a, a game changer, shaping the, the, the environment and really leading the way and doing everything right. But when when the dust settles and it all gets down to business here, you can see that you know, I mean, Zynga was very much, uh, they were reliant on Facebook, number one, I think, and a lot of people felt yeah. like that sort of, they were piggybacking on that success, and, and Facebook has, has obviously not worked out so well to date. Um, and, and now you've got this company that's in the mentality, and a very young company at that, is in the mentality of trying to figure out how to cut costs as opposed to grow sales. And really, when you see a, a company IPO with that kind of excitement, the focus really needs to be on growing sales and how they're changing the environment. You know, I think about something like a Google, for example. That's one of the IPOs, one of the few IPOs that's really worked out very well. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Zynga just, you know, they make just these dinky little mobile games that are just, they have very short lives, and they're obviously not making anything com- terribly compelling. And, and I think that, uh, you know, now that they are less reliant on Facebook, that sort of scatters their message a little bit more. Do you think, and I'm just going to, you know, flash forward a year or two, where, where do you think the, the Zynga story ends? A couple of years from now, are they still a standalone public company? Does Facebook come in and just say to them, we're going to offer you a an insultingly low amount of money for your company, um, but some of you will survive as a result of that, and, and Cityville and Farmville, et cetera, and Virtual Pigs will live forever do on Facebook. Do people still play those games? I mean, I, do, do people still play Farmville and Cityville and stuff like that? I think so, but really? I don't I don't know. If if, if uh, former Farmville farmer Joe Mager were here, we'd be able to ask him, but... Uh, <laughs> But he's not, alas. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I, I gotta say, I was, I was a Mafia Wars addict for a oh, while. Oh, yeah, when it sure. was, but, it, you know, it, it's, it's funny because, like you said, it's, it's, it's never great to see people losing their jobs. It's, it's terrible. But I feel like the writing has been on the barn door for, for a while on this yeah. one. Um, and, and one of the things that, uh, and, and Jason mentioned this is when you crack open a, a an annual report, there's a there's a risk section, and, and I don't think a lot of people read through these. One of my favorite risks is uh, concentrations, customer concentration, supplier concentration, and in the in the case of of Zynga, they were so heavily reliant on Facebook. And not only that, but when you think about the early momentum that uh, that Zynga got, a, a lot of it was based on the particular way that they operated within the Facebook environment. If you remember all of those, you know, all of those crazy messages, you were, you know, your entire feed was dominated by by somebody doing something on Mafia Wars or Farmville or inviting you. And then Facebook finally realized eh, people don't really like having having their entire experience dominated right. by this. Um, so, so that I mean, that was that just seemed like a, such a huge risk um, from the outset. Could they limp along as a as a independent company? Maybe. Um, I, th- I think somebody snaps them up at some point for, as you put it, an insultingly low amount of money. Uh, maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's another game developer that just wants to, you know, snap on a little extra division there. Yeah, and I wonder, like, how compelling it is to actually acquire them. I mean, is I mean, it, I think it would be just a, a terribly low low ball offer because I mean, I don't I don't know that Zynga is really known for its brand power in these games. I mean, these mobile games are just mobile games. I don't know that people really care so much about the brand as, as much as they do just what the flavor of the month is. And so it, it may just be easy enough for something like a Facebook or a Google or whatever else to go in there and just start snapping up the key talent there. Yeah. Um, I mean, assuming anyone's left in about a year. But, I mean, still, it's – it's. I mean, I, I just I, – I don't know why necessarily anybody would want to buy them. It does – 
and I said this before we started taping, this is one of those stories that I look at, and again, it's unfortunate for the people losing their jobs, but it does give me some faith as an investor that for the talk, and there is some talk out there from people saying, you know what, this is just like 2000, and I look at a story like this, and I think, no, it actually isn't, Mm -hmm. because if it were like 2000, they'd still be going along. Um, you know, the the time frames back in 2004, companies saying, oh, we're going to be profitable. We're much farther out. Oh, we're going to be profitable in five years, 10 years. There's a much tighter rein on when companies need to be profitable. And even just a couple of years ago, when Google made that $6 billion offer to Groupon, I feel like we're miles and miles away from that. Yeah, That's and why. If, and if it was the same as, as 2000, I mean, you would see something like Zynga still carrying like a 10 to a $12 billion valuation in the market, which today it's, it's what, around two. So, yeah, I mean, I think people, not everybody learned the lesson, but I, th- I think a lot of people have. And I think just like anything else, it, uh, you know, history serves as, as a good reminder. What did you do in Mafia Wars? Were you, were you like a did you have a role? Were you a, were you a mafia don? Were you a hitman? What, what I, were you? I have erased the entire experience from my memory. <laughs> it was it was an awful dark time in my life. <laughs> I, like, I like to think that you were the head of a family. That's Let, just, let's let's call it that. You, let's say that I was the head of a family. You were you were, you were and, one of the heads of the five families. <laughs> don Capanefa. <laughs> you come to me on the day of your daughter's wedding. Jason Moser, Don Coppenheffer. <laughs> Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooling. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris O. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, boys, I'm calling it now. We've got our new Market Foolery character. I mean, there was Uncle <laughs> Joe, and now we've got Don Coppenheffer.